I wonder if you've heard of Patty Davis. You may recognise her name a bit later on. Go back to the early 1980s and she was passionately opposed to the build-up of nuclear weapons in the world. And she constantly was speaking, I suppose she was sort of like the Greta Thunberg of her day, constantly speaking at rallies across the United States, criticising the nuclear arms policies of the Reagan administration. But unlike uh, many of the protesters who spoke at rallies and who carried their placards and demonstrated, she was, in fact, President Ronald Reagan's daughter. And her mother, Nancy, was appalled at her actions because she felt like they were a personal attack uh, on her father. Uh, but her father said, well, okay, um, you know, I don't mind. Patty has the right to publicly express her views as long as she's respectful and civil. But when she wrote about looking back at her father after his death, Patty said she chose, she recalled, a much more militant, in-your-face approach. And she frequently said to the media, look, there's nothing personal in this. But she said, today I realised my actions spoke louder than my words did. And that while I was, yes, demonstrating for a good cause for world peace, I now admit that actually I was a child railing against my parents nothing more. I was at war with my father. And she said one of her biggest regrets was turning her father down every time he wanted to sit down and engage with her and talk with her about life. And she would always say to him, I already know what you think. I already know your side. And she says, yes, now I see my refusal to talk with him wounded him. And she also expressed regret for once participating in an anti-nuclear rally uh, in 1982 in California, and she said there were 100,000 people in attendance. And just before she came up to the podium to speak, the entire audience was chanting, get a new president, get a new president. And she said, every fibre of my being told me to walk away, but I still gave that speech anyway. And looking back, she said, no one remembered what I said, my speech, the only thing people remember that day is that I came on stage when 100,000 people were calling for my father to resign. And later in life, uh, sadly, after her father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she said, I would look into my father's eyes and try to reach past the murkiness of the Alzheimer's with my words and my apology, hoping that in his heart he heard me and that he understood me. She said, I wish that now all those years ago, I had led with kindness and not with ideological stridency. We are, after all, remembered in the end for how we treat others. And sometimes the political has to be tempered by the personal. Well, that was hindsight, but it's quite poignant, isn't it, as a, as a story. We know when Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray, he gave them what's known to us as the Lord's Prayer. We're so familiar with the lines, we rattle them off. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And perhaps we forget the importance of the order of the words Jesus gave us. We have been forgiven by God, and so then we are called to forgive others because we have been shown mercy and forgiveness first. Interesting that Matthew and his version of the Lord's Prayer actually at the end of it then adds another little bit about forgiveness and he actually turns the words round the other way. He says, For if you forgive others their sins, 
your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Gosh, that's challenging stuff, isn't it? It's really saying we won't be in a place to receive God's forgiveness if we're still holding out on forgiving other people. Our Gospel reading this morning as we've continued on through the Sermon of the Mount is pretty challenging too about anger and how we should try to deal with that emotion of anger which can become so destructive if it's allowed to influence the way we lead our life and our interactions with other people. And it can also influence our interaction with God in worship. As we heard Jesus say, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother and sister has something against you, leave your gift there and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother or sister and only then come and offer your gift. Let's picture those of Jesus' time coming to the temple where God was worshipped. As an act of worship, people would bring their offering to the altar. Uh, the gift, the offering in Jesus' time would be a lamb. Uh, the priest would sacrifice that on the altar to atone for the sin of the one bringing the gift. That word atone, we can break up into at one. It makes us at one again with God. But Jesus says, if you've brought your lamb to the altar, you're there, you're ready, you're seeking God's forgiveness, but you're standing there waiting for the priest to take your lamb, perhaps you're in a queue, suddenly something hits you like a thunderbolt and you remember that you need to put things right with someone else. And notice that the challenge Jesus puts is not that you've got a problem with someone else. It's rather that they've got a problem with you. Gulp. Someone has something against you. You, for whatever reason, have upset them or caused them grief. What do you do? Do you just carry on and say, look, this is really important and I get the sacrifice right and then seek peace with them? No, Jesus says. Just leave your lamb. Your lamb's probably very grateful for the moment. Um, rather, go off and sort out that relationship and then come back and offer your gift. Now today, of course, we know we don't have to bring a sacrifice to the altar. Jesus offered himself that one perfect and final sacrifice for the sin of the world on the cross. No other offering is necessary. But we're still called to make sure we seek forgiveness from others, put things right with others, reconcile with others before we come and worship God. Make sure those horizontal relationships are right so they don't impede our worship. That's actually why the peace uh, is placed where it is in our communion service. It's not just sort of a funny welcome that we do halfway through. We actually are called to make peace with one another before we stand alongside each other at the communion table. So it's not just a time to say, hi, what did you get up to last night? Uh, did you enjoy the fireworks or did they drive you balmy? It's actually making peace with one another. And so often we do that with a physical action as we greet one another. So we need to get those horizontal relationships uh, done first. We might think, well, God doesn't want to get in the way of our worship, but God is just as concerned about those horizontal relationships. And we know how easy it is for things to go wrong. Uh, people rub us up the wrong way. 
we misunderstand each other, uh, we make assumptions, we don't measure up to each other's expectations. We find people difficult to live with, and maybe that's just our family, quite apart from anyone else. But here we are too, as the church family, put together, and Jesus challenges us and says, still, do that hard work of getting those horizontal relationships right. And do it while you can. As Patty Davis found out, seeking resolution with someone before it is no longer possible is so important. And I always think some of the saddest uh, funerals that I take are when there are estrangements within the family and people are not speaking with each other or not sitting with each other or, um, you know, it's just so sad when it is too late to put things right. So, it's not easy, is it? And it is always a challenge. What if we tried to sort things out with someone and it doesn't seem to work? What if they don't want to discuss it or they won't listen to us or speak to us? Forgiveness still means that you still release that other person from the debt that they owe to you for their past behaviour, whatever it was. Now, that doesn't always mean that that relationship is restored or is absolutely perfect afterwards. We acknowledge that. But its forgiveness is something we offer, regardless of how the other person responds. For some of us, when we're no longer in touch with that person or they've died, it can be really helpful to us to have someone to pray with us and to hear us and to say what we would like to say to them. Sometimes it's really helpful to, to write it out and then perhaps to burn that piece of paper. We do still what we can do to restore those relationships or to say what we need to say, and then that will release us. We then have made a move ourselves. We've made a positive change that we can do. You know, um, and perhaps we do really in our hearts, that we actually use a different lens to look at other people's behaviour than our own. And we might say, well, our good behaviour is all our own efforts, but the things that we don't get right, we tend to blame on outside forces. And we tend to do it around the other way with other people. We say, their good behaviour, it's just a fluke, you know, it's just the way things turned out, whereas their less than perfect behaviour, it's all their own stuff. So we say for myself, I was late today to work because the traffic was really heavy. And, uh, but for the other person, we'll say, well, she was late today. She just doesn't care about being on time. And she doesn't care that she's let the rest of us down. <clears throat> or we say, I didn't do the dishes because I've got an exam tomorrow. I've just got to be focused. I've just got to get my study done. But for the other person, we'll say, look, he didn't do the dishes. I know he's got an exam, but he's just lazy, basically. And he's just not pulling his weight with the household chores. Do you see how we frame it and turn it round? There are always two ways of looking at our relationships and the breakdowns that occur. We need to make sure we've done what we can do on our side of the matter to try to restore that relationship to be forgiving. I thought uh, this was maybe um, um, a Valentine's image, but I thought that's actually a very powerful uh, Valentine's image. Do you remember, um, some of us will remember back to Love Story in the 70s and one of the theme sentences of that was love is never having to say you're sorry. And actually, I think in a good Kiwi way, we might want to say, yeah, right. <laughs> love is saying sorry, and love is being the one willing to say that first, even if it's offering a rose. 
and that that's something that we can all do. I've always loved the Aramaic version of the Lord's Prayer. So this is the, in the language that Jesus spoke. It's the dialect of Hebrew that Jesus spoke. And the line about forgiveness in the Aramaic version of the Lord, Lord's Prayer goes like this. Loose the cords of mistakes binding us, just as we release the strands which we hold of others' faults. Isn't that powerful? Loose the cords of mistakes that bind us, just as we release the strands that we hold on to of others' faults. It's like sort of invisible ropes or um, ties that can bind us together, but not in a good way. And we're called to let those go. And it's only then that those chains are broken and we have freedom. So our children have been thinking about that today too. And as they come back in, let's remember those relationships go hand in hand. Love God, love one another. Say sorry to God, say sorry to one another. Seek God's forgiveness, seek the forgiveness of others. Then we'll know that freedom to worship God with thankfulness and freedom to make a new beginning with one another as well, with those alongside whom we live. May we do that today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Estelle's going to lead us now in our prayers.